Thank you, Susan, for leading us in the service, and thank you, Peng Kuang and musicians, for leading us. And must always thank, praise God, but encourage one another. What age are we living in? It's without a doubt that you and I should be conscious and realize that we're now living in the information age. And one of the most important things about living in the information age is how much information you process. Because in this age, is the speed in which you receive information, is the speed in which you apply information, and the speed in which you monetize information, how you turn it into profit, into goods and services. But it's a very hard choice. So I do not know how much time you spend on the phone, what you look at, how much entertainment, how much information, and how helpful is that? So we need to ask, what's the use of knowing and what's the use of not knowing? So it seems like a long time ago, long time ago, then each of us had an opportunity to take a flight. Remember what flying an airplane feels like? No. Are there aeroplanes? No. Yes, they are. That was just merely a year ago. The times that you flew, can you remember? Whenever there was the safety instructions, did you listen to that? I remember way before they put the safety instructions on the screen and played it for everyone, they had actually the air stewardess or the air steward come show you how to put on the, the life jacket. And I think I was on Lufthansa flight and the air stewardess was slightly big. That's an understatement. So as she put the jacket on, she found that she couldn't strap herself. And so she burst out in laughter and all of us burst out in laughter. So he said, forget the safety instructions. So what's the use of knowing that or not knowing that? You compare to the things. So did you watch Prince Philip's funeral? How come you didn't watch? We used to be colonised. I watched a snippet of it, right? And the most important thing, the whole thing of Prince Philip's funeral was to observe whether the two brothers, William and Harry, walked side by side with each other. And you ask yourself, what's the use of knowing that? Sorry, this slide shouldn't be coming on. Not at all. Nope. How come it's there? Neither should Tengah be coming on. <laughs> Nothing should be coming on. <laughs> okay, let me go balik, balik. Okay, where was I? What's the use of knowing and what's the use of not knowing? Okay. So what's the use of knowing whether Harry and William are on good terms with each other? What impact does it have on your life? Which took my mind straight back to the time I was working in the media, in, in the newspapers. And we ran an article, a two-page spread in the Sunday Times. And the two-page spread in the Sunday Times, our national newspapers, that has the most people reading it on a weekend, on a Sunday, right? at least then, was what kind of undergarments do our pop stars buy? What brand, what colour? I look at the two pages, I was wondering to myself, what's the use of me knowing what a pop star, what a TV star buys for his undergarments? That's the world that we live in. What's, what's the use of knowing this? What's the use of knowing that? Back to that German Asti uh, with this. What's the use of not listening to that? Just in case your plane crashed. How many of us listen when you go to the hawker centre when you hear the announcement being made that you should wear your mask, that you should only remove your mask when you eat and keep it on when you don't eat. How many of you listen to that? That you should keep the one metre distancing from each other. 
at the start, at the depth of this COVID-19, we listened intently. I remember the first time out of the circuit breaker, I went to buy food at the hawker centre at Alexander. We really kept that one metre distance. We were really so careful. But now our guard has dropped. And that brings me to my good friend from school. His father was a prankster, liked to play practical jokes on the 10 children in the family. He was eldest of 10 children, I was youngest of 12 children. Right? And so I went to his house a lot, and his father played jokes on us when he went to, to his house. And then he told me the story, my friend who I met up um, years ago here in Singapore, that his dad came down from a small town in Malaysia, had the Chinese New Year dinner, and at the Chinese New Year dinner, his dad slumped over the table. And they all said, Dad, stop it, we're on the public place. The dad wasn't playing a prank. He was having a heart attack. But no one among his 10 children knew how to do CPR. And his father died there at that table. Which leads us to ask, what's the use of knowing frivolous news? And what's the use of not knowing important news in life? And do you have the discernment from day to day to discern the difference? Do you have the wisdom day by day to choose wisely what you entertain yourself with, what you read, how it impacts your heart, your home, your family, how it impacts your decisions and your actions and your feelings and your thoughts? Some voices, important voices, like a flight attendant giving you safety measures or the COVID-19 at hawker centres or shopping centres slowly become background noise. Some voices become one of many voices. Some voices can be ignored without consequences. Some voices cannot be ignored. And if they are ever ignored, they are ignored at the greatest peril for life and the greatest peril and danger for eternal life. Welcome to the Gospel. Welcome to Christianity. Welcome to the Bible. Welcome to the story of God and us. Because it's a story of voices. Say you, say me. Say you, say me. So who should have the last say? What you say to me or what I say to you? In life, say you, say me. When your parents differ about what school to send you to, how to raise you, what tuition, different things in life, say you, say me, causes a lot of pain. But for eternity, say you, say me, has repercussions that we dare not think about. This is the gospel. It's the story of whose word, whose voice, whose say matters. So to cue us into Exodus chapter 4 to 7 today, the story so far, do you realise? In chapter 1, it's basically all about meeting. In chapter 1, we meet Pharaoh. We are introduced to Pharaoh. And then we listen to what he says. Pharaoh, the greatest ruler of that time, what does he say? What does he say? We meet Pharaoh and he's a forgetful king, a new king, a forgetful king, who suffers amnesia of how Joseph had been used by God to save Egypt and the region from famine. And because of his forgetfulness, he becomes ungrateful. An ungrateful king who instead of living in gratitude, lives with increasing op oppression of the very people God sent to save him. And he says, the Hebrew people are now too many. 
The Hebrew population must be curtailed, and every Hebrew firstborn child, son, must be thrown into the river Nile. So we meet Pharaoh, and that's what he says. And as the king, his word has sway. His word is the loudest word and the final word. Then in chapter 2, we meet Moses. We meet Moses, and he so happens to be a Hebrew child. And we meet Moses, he, he's a miraculous birth. He's a fine-looking child, and then he's kept against all odds by his mother and kept by all odds by his sister. He's, he's put in a basket and put on the river Nile, the, the river of death. But his name becomes drawn out of the water, a divine irony. The river of death decreed by Pharaoh becomes the river of life designed by God. And the river of life decreed by Pharaoh becomes the river of life designed by God through Pharaoh's own daughter. Who could have planned the miraculous birth and safety of Moses? But God. In chapter 3, after you met Moses, you met Pharaoh and met Moses and listened to the word, you now have Moses meeting God. And what does he know about God? He knows the first thing, that God is holy. You know what holy means? Holy means he's different to you. He's higher than you. He's better than you. He is not a man that you can make in his image, in your image. So you take off your sandals because you're on a holy ground. Then he realizes that this God, three things about this God, that this God is not just holy, but he's a good God. Because he's a good God who set out to bless Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to bless Israel. And this good God is carrying on his purposes to bless even Israel, even the Hebrews, as they live under the decree of death under Pharaoh. So he's not just a holy God, but he's a good God. He's a God of blessing. And the third thing he learns, he's a God of word. He's an invisible God. He speaks of the burning bush. You can only hear his voice. You must never make an idol of this God. He will tell them in Exodus 20. You hear his voice. You listen to his word. And you obey his word. Because God's word is God's will. And that's what is happening here, the backdrop to this. In chapter 47 is the first encounter between the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh and God, through Moses. And you ask the question, whose, whose word and whose voice will prevail? We roughly know the answer, but you need to walk back in time to understand all that is happening here. So in chapter 4, verse 18 to 31, I expect you to have your Bibles open as I read the passages for you. And so you have your Bibles open. If you're new to church, just allow me to read God's Word and you listen intently. 4.18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. A very important shalom word. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, where he was taking refuge, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons 
and had them ride on the donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. An important phrase you mustn't miss. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And immediately, in verse 17, it ends with that. The staff of God would be the presence and the power of God over Pharaoh and Egypt to let his people go. So when you look at this, you and me need to understand. Understand what? Compare where Moses is before and after. Moses flees Egypt as a man who acts impulsively by his own flawed judgment and judicial system. Moses sees right, an Egyptian oppressing a fellow Hebrew. He takes things into his hands and he kills him. His own judge and jury. Moses returns to Egypt now, no longer as a man who acts impulsively by his as own judge and jury, but he acts under God's instruction. Moses leaves Egypt, flees Egypt, as a man full of self, full of self-justice, full of self-effort, full of self-salvation and rescue. He returns to Egypt as a man empty of self and increasingly filled with God, as his judge and jury, empty of self, full of God, 40 years of shepherding under the scorching sun by day and the glittering stars at night. What does that do to you? When was the last time you went camping? Where you didn't live under the fake comfort of your HDB flat, your condominium or your house? When was the last time you lived under the elements? I walk very often at East Coast Park. I see more and more parts of the park being open for camping. Then I chance upon the drill in one of my walks when it was raining, so we went to walk at the drill, right, protected. And then we saw glamping. You know the difference between camping and glamping? And so they open up that, that top uh, level and you put tents there. <laughs> Except I noticed that I stood there and just observed this. Why do people want to pay money for this? You come up and you say, hello. <laughs> there is no stars, there's no elements anyway. Moses flees Egypt, right? 40 years in the wilderness, shepherding under the scorching sun and the glittering stars. God will chip, shape and mould him. God will empty him from trusting the education he received in Pharaoh's court to trusting the enlightenment he will receive directly from God and his word. That's a massive change, my friends, in trusting in your own wisdom and your own resources Emptying of yourself and filling up with God is something God does very often to your life and my life. And COVID-19 has a lot of that. The emptying of our self-wisdom and our self-effort to make this paradise on earth. A virus can threaten the whole global order and turn your life upside down? Yes, a mere virus. Moses flees Egypt as an accidental fugitive who takes the life of the one who oppressed one of his own people. Did you notice? He returns to Egypt as God's appointed deliverer to redeem the life of all of God's people. And so what do you see in the first few verses we're, that we're dealing with in 4.18 to 31? What God says to Moses, a man, a woman, a child, 
before they meet God and after they meet God, totally different. Before you meet God, you are totally full of self and full of the cover-up of your own sin. He thought he could kill the Egyptian and bury him. But the Hebrew noticed this. Coming out of Median, before and after, you find Moses a different man. Has God led you through such a crisis? Before and after you actually listen to his voice, it's quite different. Before you're full of self, after you're full of God. And you never want to go back to being full of self again. So God said to him, and then you say to Aaron, and then you say to, Moses, uh, say to Israel, you do all the miracles I have shown you. The signs and wonders with this staff I have shown you. I will put power in your hands. And the repeated thing is, thus says the Lord. You not just do all the miracles, you must speak all the words I spoke to you. And did you notice? What does he say? He says here, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. This is God saying, Israel is my firstborn. He is my son. O Pharaoh, most powerful man of the world, thus says the Lord, you let my people go. For who are my people? To Pharaoh, in his human eyes and human wisdom, after 400 years, 400 years is a pretty long time to forget your true identity. How long have Filipinos and Filipinas, have, how long have Filipinas, their main identity is domestic helper? When on earth did they become as the world's number one exporter of domestic helpers? After World War II, they have been bankrupted by president after president, beginning with President Marcos. That's when. It's about 70 years, 60 years. They have lost their identity, our main identity of Filipinos, at least for Singaporeans. They're all domestic helpers. Says who? They are fellow human beings. Before they are domestic helpers, you're not defined by your job. 400 years of being known as slaves it's a pretty long time to think of Hebrew people as, oh, they are a bunch of slaves. After a while, you forget. They are fellow human beings. You cut them up. Whatever colour, yellow, brown, black, the same blood flows. The same heart is underneath that skin. I want to ask you, have you forgotten the identity of anybody? Simply because they belong to one class or one race? We'll come to that as we end our time. From human eyes, they are just a bunch of slaves. From God's eyes, tell me again. Who is Israel to God? Tell me that you are listening. From God's eyes, who is Israel to God? His firstborn and his son. If you don't know what that means, Israel is the apple of his eye. From God's heart, how dare you treat the apple of his eye as the trash of the earth? 
Because 400 years of enslaving them, you thought that was their true identity. You must never allow the changing fortunes to change your sense of ethics. Just because one nation has gone downhill doesn't mean they are permanently inferior to you. They were never inferior in the first place. They are just poorer than you. You are just slightly richer than them for now. My dad went into bankruptcy in the Korean War. Before that, he was the richest man in our small town in Malaysia. And everybody knew him. When he lost all his wealth overnight, he would open our shop house, which was now empty. And not a soul walked in for years and years and years. They couldn't see, they saw my father no up. Hokkien phrase lah. I see you no up. His fortunes had changed, his identity hadn't. And every time I look at my father and how he resurfaced in life, That's why I love him. There are repercussions for not hearing God's word about who he truly is and who we truly are in the changing fortunes of life. He remains God, remain, remain his people. And don't you dare let anybody take that away from you. If God loves you, he created you, he loves you, he redeems you, that's your true identity. And now Israel is to know that. And now Pharaoh is to know that. Then we read verse 24 to 25. And the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. Oh dear, my Bible, the Bible. The Bible got foreskin. And touched Moses' feet with it. And surely... You are a bridegroom, a bridegroom of blood to me, so let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. We read this portion, what on earth does that have to do with anything? God saying to Moses, now go back to Egypt and say to Pharaoh, deliver my firstborn, deliver my son, so that they may go and serve me. This is a detour. It's not a detour. In chapter 4, verse 18 to 20, the initial verses, was witness a man before they come to know God and after they come to know God, Moses. Then this incident is about God meeting Moses and seeking to put him to death. This incident, what is it about? I think it's about his complete preparation and his complete consecration to God. He had forgotten to circumcise his own son, how might Moses have known in, of this? Wasn't he raised in Pharaoh's court? But don't forget who raised him first. It was his own mother. She was the first case of the paid mother. The best maternity package ever began when Moses' mother was paid by Pharaoh's daughter to look after him. Remember that? He would have learned that. And now he has perhaps forgotten it. He would have learned about circumcision, which was given to Abraham in Genesis 17. In any case, whatever interpretation you take, and the scholars have different interpretations, we do know that he has failed to listen to the final bit of the instructions. 
And you cannot choose to be frivolous. You cannot choose to be selective whenever you hear God speak to you. Want me to say that again? You cannot choose to be selective in hearing God's word and obeying God's voice. You cannot choose to be frivolous. The meaning is not in the listener. The meaning is always in the speaker. That's the problem with our postmodern world. The postmodern world says there's no God and there are no absolutes, no black and whites. The meaning is only in the listener. Whatever you want to make of it, you just make of it. But God tells us the meaning is in the speaker. What I said is what I said. You are my covenant people and this is the way you keep the covenant. So, Moses cannot be God's covenant partner and deliverer without firstly being God's covenant keeper. You cannot be God's chosen deliverer and partner without firstly keeping all that God instructed. And he's going to learn that again and again and again. Everything in his life and everything in his family life must be aligned to a T. We call that what? what? Everything must be aligned to a T. It must be done sui sui. We call that OCD. Lah. Right? There is, there is sadness and badness to human OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder. But there is goodness in God's OCD, which is obsessive compulsive design. If you move away from God's obsessive compulsive design, He is holy, and everything about His holy purposes must be done according to His word, listening to His voice. He designed us to be different to a fallen world. He designed us to be different to our sinful nature. So this is how chapter 4 ends. And how does chapter 4 end? Moses is to do everything that God showed him. Moses is to say everything that God spoke to him. And he did that with Aaron. And Aaron and Moses spoke everything to Israel. And how did Israel respond? Israel, right, listen to this. The Lord had visited the people of Israel and he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshipped. It's all looking very good. God spoke his word to his chosen servants, Moses and Aaron to his people, and they bowed down and worshipped. Here is God. He heard our cries. He will rescue us. It's all looking very good by the end of chapter 4. But, but, dot, dot, dot. Now, we see the first clash between God and Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord versus thus says Pharaoh is the heart of chapter 5. And the heart of chapter 5 begins this way. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, His word, His voice, The God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But, immediately, but Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? That I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. We get to the heart of the matter of your life and my life here. Who is the Lord? Is that a statement, a question of initial ignorance? I do not know who He is. I do not know who He is. 
that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. So is this ignorance or is this disobedience? I do not know is a big theme in Exodus. We call it the recognition theme. When will you really come to know the Lord? When will you come to know the Lord? When This is the theme, this is the mantra, this is the slogan, this is the repetition. And no, the first time you encountered it in, in Exodus is God knew of Israel's groaning. God knew Israel's suffering under the oppression of a forgetful, ungrateful king. And the repeated theme of the ten plagues from chapter 7 verse 8 onwards is what? God sends the plague one by one by one so that you will know that I am the Lord. That I am the true and the living God. So the lesson, what was Pharaoh pleading? Was he pleading ignorance? Or was he, was this growing defiance? Was this growing rebellion and rejection of God? It would be the later. It was pure ignorance. In one sense, it's excusable. It's understandable. I, don't, I really don't know who this God is. But the more Moses and Aaron spoke God's word and did the signs and wonders that affirmed that God is God, plick after plick after plick, you're going to find this happening. The other repeated thing, Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we explore that in the weeks ahead. But here's a key verse you mustn't miss. And what is it you mustn't miss? Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met us. This is Moses and Aaron speaking to Pharaoh. The God of the Hebrews has met us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. Just three days. And we'll go to this mountain. We may sacrifice to our Lord, our God, lest He fall upon us. Lest He fall upon us. With what? With pestilence or with a sword. The phrase I want you to take note is the phrase, God identifies His people as, tell me again, firstborn, His son. Now how does He identify Himself? That's how He identifies His people. How does He identify Himself? Tell me. He is God of the Hebrews. Again and again, the true and living God insists on identifying himself as God of the Hebrews in the book of Exodus. In the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of Egypt, in the eyes of all the nations around Egypt, they knew Egypt had a wonderful human resource called slaves. And all the slaves are Hebrews. In the eyes of Pharaoh and Egypt, he's the God of slaves, he is the God of losers. If Yahweh is the God of losers, compared to the Egyptian idols and deities, if Yahweh is the God of losers, what does that make Yahweh? It makes Him a loser God. So why should I, the mightiest ruler of the world, listen to a, a bunch of losers who are my slaves, worshipping, wanting to worship a loser of a God? From chapter 7 onwards, they worship gods of everything. The frog is a god, the snake is a god, the river is a god, everything is a god. You're going to meet all their gods. And Pharaoh is basically saying to the god of the slaves, 
your God is a loser. And you expect me to let you go when your God is inferior to my God? My gods, plural, my deities that give me security? Why should I? So instead of letting them go, what does he do? He increases the burdens. He tells them to make bricks without straw. Have you ever done this? Maybe a light-hearted analogy. Have you ever tried to make chicken rice without chicken or rice? Have you ever tried to make a, bake a cake without flour? Have you ever tried? Those are the easy ones, right? Nowadays, we've got uh, plant-based burgers, right? Have you ever tried to have a burger that doesn't have real meat in it? Yeah, plant-based burgers, new meats. Have you ever tried to build a building without real bricks and mortar? I read an article once, it struck me that one of the buildings collapsed, I think, in Taipei, in Taiwan. Typhoon or earthquake, but it just collapsed like nothing as compared to all the other buildings. And when they went to investigate, and many people died in there, they found that between the brickwork, instead of cement, they had some cement, they wrenched off cement, it was shoddy work, they put in newspapers. You can Google that story, it's true. You can trust it. I bet you'll find that story. You don't build buildings with newspapers in between. And Pharaoh had great ambitions. And so he increases, he doesn't drop the target. The target is still as punishing. 2,000 bricks, right? 2,000 bricks you've got to produce, but you're not going to have straws. What do you call that? You quit the job, except they can't quit. You know why? You forgot. They're slaves. They're a bunch of losers. And so he says to them from his perspective, the only reason you want to go is two things. You are idle, you are lazy. You are idle and lazy and you make up this loser of a God that you want to go worship. So you think I'm a fool? I was born yesterday? I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to increase that burden so you stop dreaming you stop idling and start maybe worshipping our gods and know that I am Lord. But God has no shame in identifying himself as God of the Hebrews. So, his pride is in his own deities, being superior to the loser God of the Hebrews. His prejudice against a people he considers inferior to him because of his pride and prejudice. It's always pride and prejudice, right? Jane Austen is right. Because of his pride and prejudice, he sends his Egyptian foremen and taskmasters and he imposes this. And Israel's leader says, we can't take it. This is inhumane. How could Pharaoh be so inhumane? And then finally they blame Aaron and Moses. You brought us out here to be stricken. Basically, he says, life got worse after we listened to God's word through you. Life was better without God, without his word, without his voice, speaking into our hearts, speaking into our economy, speaking to our jobs. We were better off. Now that God has spoken, life is worse for us. You want to think about that? Have you not considered at some points that life is worse for you? because of God's word constraining you, because of God's voice constraining your lifestyle, never arrive there. And Moses himself turns and, and asks God, why did you do this? 
Why you, have you acted in this evil way? Life was actually better without you, speaking into the situation, interrupting, intervening in this situation. Life was better without you. Can you maybe leave us alone? So chapter 4 ends with them worshipping God, listening to God's word. Chapter 5 ends with them, why have you done this, O God? One chapter, and it all changes, my friends. How could Pharaoh, and how can we, sometimes be so inhumane to fellow human beings? And that's where the slide comes on. This case has gripped the whole world. And what case? The death, the murder of George Floyd. And the look in Derek Chauvin's eyes was something worse than hate. What could be worse than hate, my friends? Here is a white officer who obviously hates the black man he's kneeling on. And for nine minutes and 45 seconds, he sees the life goes out of him. He doesn't flinch. doesn't flinch. What makes him do that? I read the CNN article with this, head, with this headline. The look in Derek Chauvin's eyes was something worse than hate. What was it? It was the look of indifference. And why indifference? The look on Chauvin's face, this is now the close-up. This was Exhibit 17 in the trial that the prosecutor put up again and again to the jury. Look at this face. What is written in this body language? And I quote directly from the article by John Blake. The look on Chauvin's face is one of bored disinterest. Disinterest. His sunglasses are perched on his head. His hands rest in his pocket. He doesn't seem to notice Floyd at all. The only flicker of emotion on his face is annoyance at the crowd that had gotten to plead for Floyd's life and the girl that was courageously, wisely firming this on her phone. They will go down as one of the defining images of our era because it tells a story about racism that many people do not want to hear. Racism is not just fed by hatred. Racism is fed and perpetuated and grows because of indifference. How do you know this? The next slide. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference, says Eli Weasel. And who on earth is this Eli Weasel and what occasion is he at, at, as he's clapping here? He was the la late Holocaust survivor and Nobel Prize winner laureate, Eli Weasel. And at this, this photograph was him being honoured by President Obama. You believe that, friends? The opposite of love is not simply hate. At times it is. But the opposite of love is indifference. You want to kill off a relationship? You want to kill off a marriage? You can either hate the person to death or be indifferent or just cold war. There's no such thing as cold war. It's a war. But you pretend. You pretend niceness. You pretend. So friends, how on earth could Pharaoh be so inhumane 
the target was just as punishing. And now no straws. And he could say to them, and all their suffering is because you are a lazy bum, a bunch of losers, and you got a loser of a God. Tried and prejudice. Tried against, tried in his own deities against the true and living God. Prejudice against God's people. You'll never do that to God. You'll never do that to God's people. Never. And how does it go on? Stay on the next slide. Racism needs indifference like plants need water and sunlight. To feed racism, you don't just need hatred. You need indifference. White indifference is what is still causing the racism against Afro-American blacks. That's why they still have to say black lives matter. Black lives matter. And this is how many years since Martin Luther King? How many years? I've tricked this around and given you a gospel warning from this passage. The gospel warning is the idolatry of self as seen in Pharaoh and Egypt as the most powerful nation at that time needs indifference to God. It feeds on indifference to God. It feeds on your own self-made deities and idols for your own security. It's like a plant needing water and sunlight. The more you think you can fulfill your own ambition, get your own pleasures by ignoring the true and living God and His Word and His voice, the more your indifference towards God grows. So how does this end in chapter 6? In chapter 5, Moses has to say in chapter 6, in chapter 6, this is what God says. Allow me to read that for you. Come with me in your Bibles. Come with me in your Bibles to 6, chapter 6, verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from, I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of, from under the burdens of Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses thus spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. What is the contrast between chapter 6 and chapter 5? Chapter 5, verse 10, the crowning verse is, Thus says Pharaoh. Chapter 6 is, Thus says the Lord. And what does the Lord say? Do you notice? I will deliver. I will take. I will bless. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. In the end, God will have His word. But by now, there's a change in Israel's heart from chapter 4. Remember? They bowed down and worshipped him. Now, they no longer listen to Moses. If you no longer listen to God's leaders, you no longer listen to God. Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And so friends, where does that take us? Where does that take us? 
two things will harden us to hearing God's voice. Either our pride and prejudice or our pain. For Moses and Pharaoh, uh, for Pharaoh and Egypt, it was his pride and prejudice. For Israel, it would be her pain. So I ask in ending, what is stopping you? What is making you indifferent to the voice of God speaking into your life? Hebrews chapter 1 in the New Testament says, In the past, God spoke to us in many and various ways. He spoke to us through the prophets. And finally, in the last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. And the best book to, to read, to understand Exodus in the New Testament, are two letters, Hebrews and 1 Peter. We'll be doing 1 Peter in the second part of the year. Everything we do here is not random. Their plan in listening to this God is very important. So how have you grown indifferent to God? Say you, say me. Have you grown indifferent to God because you have prospered? Have you grown indifferent to God because of your pride against Him? That your own, you're full of self, full of your self-idolatries, your intelligence, your networking, your career, your experience, just full of self. Until COVID hit, and all of a sudden you realise you could lose your job in a moment because a whole industry could go down. A whole flying industry could become a sunset industry. Do you think SIA will fly again? That's not what I'm asking. That's what our parliament were asking. And to comfort our hearts, you remember the speech that was made? SIA will fly high again because it is our flagship. What if it doesn't? How much money can you pour into this hole? How many more variants? How many times do you have to go for a jab? You have no idea. I have no idea. Is that right? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And that's human history for you. Played out again and again. Some empires will go belly up and the stroke of God's word. Some empires will rise to fulfill God's purposes. And no matter how one fading empire tries to keep another fading empire down, this empire will go down and that empire will come up. It's as sure as day. So what is making indifferent to God? For some of us, we could become indifferent to God. If you're becoming indifferent to God because of pride, prejudice, maybe up to now, you see, are you singing with your mask on? Are you singing? Just checking. Do you sing? We're going to sing very soon two songs in closing. Do you sing? I hope so. Because for a full year, we couldn't sing. We prayed for a full year waiting to sing. And even singing with masks is a concession, is a blessing. Amen? Maybe God stopped you and me from singing with our lips so that you might ponder singing in your hearts before you sing with your lips. Before you sing casually, before you sing insultingly, that you are singing with your lips. And I'm singing with my lips, but nothing is meant. So yesterday, I so happened to chance upon one of my favourite gospel singers, Keith Green. I think he was a pastor's son. Then he fell away. Then he came to faith and he wrote songs that you listen to Keith Green all that 
emotions of loving Jesus. Jesus saved his life. I quote one, if I have it here. And the song is entitled, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. I want, this is God, I want more than Sunday and Wednesday nights. Because if you don't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all. You think God just wants your Sundays? You think He wants your Wednesday when you do DGs? The only two days you open your Bible to read His Word? And when you read His Word, is to lead the group or to contribute so you don't look so foolish? You think God wants that? You think God wants that from me? That the only time as a pastor I open the Word is when I prepare a sermon? You must be kidding. He goes on. Next stanza. To obey is better than sacrifice. I want hearts of fire, not prayers of eyes. And I'm coming quickly to give back to you according to what you have done to me, according to what you have done to me. There's a very grave danger when you turn cold to God. There's a very grave danger when you become indifferent to Him. It's a very perilous spiritual condition. You realize that? Or you think casually listening to God is a nothing. Idolatry feeds indifference to God like sunlight and water feed a plant. You never get used to being indifferent. If today you arrive here and you arrive here slightly casual, slightly indifferent, and Pastor Chris has been telling you through the handbook, and then through the conference, right? The John Piper conference. And then through everything we do from week after week. New identity, new habits. New identity, new habits. Then we're going to put up a lunchtime talks. Sexual temptation in the workplace. All that is casual. Now I can pick and choose. You can't pick and choose, friends. You can't. In the past... God spoke to you in many and various ways. But in these last days, He paid the price of His Son. You mentioned Jesus and Satan flees. You mentioned Jesus and your sins are forgiven. You mentioned Jesus and you're made a child of God. And you want to treat Jesus casually? Are you kidding? That's how it begins in Hebrews 1. You want to know how it ends in Hebrews 13? You turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 13. What, it, what does it mean to listen to Jesus? Hebrews 13. Listen hard to Him. Hebrews 13 verse 1. Let your brotherly love continue. Do not neglect showing hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those in prison as though in prison with them, that those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honour among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Four instructions of what it means to listen carefully to Jesus. You must love each other deeply. Is your love for me greater? Just look up here. I'm just testing. Has your love for me as a pastor become greater in the last year? Or lesser? Don't answer. I'm not confident. None. Has your love for each other become greater or lesser? in your DGs, in your marriages, in your families, you call yourself a Christian family, let brotherly love continue. You used to love each other deeply, now you love each other casually. 
In fact, some of you are thrown into prison because you believe in Jesus and you dare not identify with them. You no longer identify with suffering Christians because if I identify with loser Christians who go to jail, I believe in the loser God. Will you identify with the guest workers? Nobody wants to identify with them. Now there's a second resurgence. We must pray to go forth, friends. And the third thing about believing in Jesus and listening to Jesus, you keep your marriage bed pure. For a whole year, many of us cannot travel overseas. Maybe God has stopped you in your tracks from all the pornography and all the affairs you've been having overseas when we travel supposedly for business and for work that nobody found out but God is stopping you in your tracks. You never listen. That God intends for you to listen to Jesus and keep your marriage bed pure. You know the woman you married 30 years ago? It's the same woman you must love her and long for her. You want to last after anybody, you last after your God-given wife. That's a good way to put it. And you keep your life free from money. Four things of what it means to listen to Jesus. Four things in which you don't, don't ever go into idolatries. You listening to Jesus? If you stop listening to Him because of pride and prejudice and prosperity, you might also stop listening to Him because of pain. The Israelites did. I'm going through pain. And the pain becomes louder than the God over pain, the God of pain. And so friends, which one is it? Some of you may have heard, as we read in the bulletin, of Christabel. Christabel and her husband, Silva, used to worship with us. Migrated to America. And then you want to tune in to, to watch that, and it was midnight last night already. Then we got the, what Silva wrote of her. She grew up in a place called Guyana. Her father died when she was 18 years old. She was the eldest of eight children. Father dies, that's the end of the story. She was very bright, but she gave up all her intentions to study to look after her siblings. She gave up her own ambitions. And then she migrated from Guyana, which is in ruins. And she found her job as a nanny. She worked like crazy as a nanny for an American family in, in New York, on the outskirts of New York. The family found her so good and trustworthy that they said, why don't we sponsor your mum and your seven siblings to come? And one by one, they all migrated to America. Simply because Crystal didn't allow her downtimes, the death of her father, to cloud her, to stop her from listening to God. And what Silva said again and again in that eulogy to his wife, all the time, every day, and she blesses people, it's not me, it's God working in me, it's God's working in me, it's God's grace working. Yes, but he failed to listen, he put so much time in his career, and then finally he said last night, now I'm going to listen big time. He, he was a good man. He, he was in my Bible study group. But now I'm going to listen even more. It can't be career above Christ. It's Christ above career. Life was a beautiful life. She never allowed the death of her father and a hopeless future to cloud her. So I'm asking you as we end, in what ways might you become indifferent to God? Don't ever become indifferent to Jesus. He loves you too much to share you with anyone and anything else. Let's pray. Gracious and humble us that we might listen to thus says the Lord. 
and not thus says the world, and thus says us as Lord of our lives. We thank you, you have finally spoken to us through your Son, and save us from being indifferent to Him. In any area of life, did you find us, find us justifying our pride, our prejudice, our prosperity, our pain, hearing those voices above your voice, please stop us. Please bring us to our knees that we will listen to you speak to us in your Son. And bring repentance and then send us out into the world to share this wonderful message that Jesus alone is Lord and Saviour. In His mighty name we pray. Amen.